The title of this morning's message is Praying and Declaring Grace. This morning I want to talk to you about how the fuller understanding of grace and the finished works of Christ has changed my prayer life. About 25 years ago, I was what is known as a prayer warrior. For quite a while, it was common for me and my best friend at the time to spend Friday nights all night at the church praying and seeking God. At one point, I started an early morning prayer group during the week, Monday through Friday, so that my church was open for anyone who wanted to come and pray before they went to work. We didn't get a lot of takers. <laughs> I believed prayer changed things. I believed that if we prayed long enough and hard enough, God would move and bring revival to America. I believed this because that is what I was taught at church and through charismatic teachers and prophetic authors. But when I began to get the revelation of the finished works of Christ, I found that a lot of my ideas about prayer were actually based on misconceptions of who God is and what he has accomplished through sending Jesus to purchase our salvation and freedom. Have you ever seen the phrase on a little plaque somewhere, prayer changes things? I used to love that sign. <laughs> because it meant if people were praying, then things were going to change. People must pray. But prayer in and of itself does not change things. Lots of people pray. Muslims pray devoutly five times a day. Hindus pray at least twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. So prayer in and of itself is not the power to change things. You see, the act of praying isn't what produces change. If we are trusting in the fact that we pray or that we pray long and hard, and I was really good at praying long and hard, then we were trusting in our own performance and ability. My family became Catholic when I was about 12 years old. And as a Catholic, I was taught to pray certain prayers repeatedly in order to do what was known as penance. Penance, according to the Oxford Online Dictionary, is the voluntary self-punishment inflicted as an outward expression of repentance, or being sorry, for having done wrong. Very often at the end of the confession of sin to a priest, the priest will suggest a certain amount of prayers for the believer to pray as an act of contrition to display the heartfelt sorrow for having broken God's law. However, in this ritual is the idea that you are not returned to fellowship with God, right standing, until you have made this act of contrition. So you have to do penance. You have to. Do penance in order to be made right with God again. If there is no penance praying, then there is no reconciliation with God. Unfortunately, the believer then believes that it's a combination of their confession of sin and the blood of Jesus and their demonstration of sorrow that makes them right with God. Now, as a Catholic kid, I didn't actually pray these prayers. <laughs> I said these prayers as fast as I could to get them done and over with. <laughs> it had nothing to do with about being sorry. I just didn't want to do them, so I just got them done in order to not be bad. 
<laughs> it was my part of doing what needed to be done for me to be right with God. And as a Catholic, my faith was not in Christ alone or in what Christ alone had done. It was a mixture of old covenant theology of confession and works mixed in with the new covenant theology of faith in Christ. It was a combination of old wineskins and new wine. It was a mixture of faith and works. And the truth is most believers worldwide hold to some kind of mixture that includes faith plus works as the way to salvation. And by salvation, they really mean heaven. I have a picture I want you to see. I used to really love this picture. It's a painting by Ron Di Cincinnati, D-I-C-I-A-N-N-I-E. It portrays an exhausted man in torn work clothes with wounds on his arms, kneeling on his knees in the throne room, and Jesus is embracing him. Behind Jesus, there's an angel holding white clothes that are prepared for this man. Beside him on the floor are shackles that have been removed. And then the man's hand, a crown dangles to the floor. The title of this painting is Safely Home. The reason I used to love this painting so much is because it portrays exactly how I felt about Jesus and my salvation. I loved Jesus, and I worked hard at being holy. I worked hard at prayer. I worked hard to be faithful with my money, my time, and my talent. I worked hard to be pleasing to Jesus and my Father. And I believed that when I finally reached heaven, then I would be safe in his arms, and my shackles would come off, and my robe of righteousness would finally be mine. <laughs> I identified with this picture. It portrayed how I saw myself meeting Jesus in heaven, exhausted and relieved that I had made it safely home. I no longer love this picture. It is a beautiful picture, but I no longer see my salvation this way. This picture, although beautiful, in my opinion, glorifies the hard work of believers instead of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It portrays our righteousness as freedom, as something we attain to once we reach heaven. To me, the message that this picture inspires is, believers, keep working hard, and one day you will make it safely home, and it will be worth it all. Now, is it gonna be worth it all? Oh yeah, but we don't have to wait till we get to heaven. That's what's wrong with this picture. It glorifies what we do, not what Jesus has already done for us. My shackles don't come off when I reach heaven. They came off the day I met Jesus. My righteousness doesn't come when I reach heaven. It came the day I had Jesus. He has made me righteous already. I'm not working to become something. I already am something. I am a child of the living God, and I am made righteous and holy and powerful in and through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This picture here is not the picture the scripture paints for us. I understand how believers feel this way. 
Life can be hard. I'm not saying there's no work to be done. I'm not saying things are not difficult sometimes, but it doesn't earn me my freedom. It doesn't earn me my righteousness. It doesn't earn me my Father's love. All of that is a gift. The scripture very clearly states that our works don't make us right or keep us right. You see, I believed the blood of Jesus made me right, but I thought it was my job then to keep myself right. It's so much work. That's why I loved that painting. I understood the work. (laughs) The Apostle Paul makes this point for us in Philippians chapter 3. I have it for you in the Passion Translation. Beginning with verse 1. Philippians 3, verse 1. My beloved ones, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing Jesus our Lord. I don't mind repeating what I've already written to you because it protects you. Beware of those religious hypocrites who teach you that you should be circumcised to please God. For we have already experienced heart circumcision and we worship God in the power and the freedom of the Holy Spirit, not in laws and religious duties. We are those who boast in what Jesus has done and not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. It's true that I once relied on all that I had become, and I had reason to boast and impress people with my accomplishments more than others, for my pedigree was impeccable. I was born a true Hebrew of the heritage of Israel as a son of a Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised eight days after my birth and was raised in the strict tradition of Orthodox Judaism, living a separated and devout life as a Pharisee. And concerning righteousness of the Torah, no one surpassed me. A little bit arrogant. (laughs) No one surpassed me. I was without peer. Furthermore, as a fiery defender of the truth, I persecuted the Messianic believers with religious zeal. Yet, all of these accomplishments that I once took credit for, I've now forsaken them. And I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past. What is he letting go of? Good works. He's not talking about sin. Usually we hear this this verse in relation to sin, forgetting what was behind. Yes, we do. God has already forgiven us. Yes, but he's saying, look, my good works, my good works don't merit me anything. I don't get to know Jesus and get to know the Father because I work good. (laughs) He says, none of that, none of that ingratiates me to my Father. To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past, the good works, and throwing all of my boasting on the garbage heap. (laughs) It's all like a pile of maneuver to me now, so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all of his goodness. My passion is to be consumed with him and not clinging to my own righteousness based in keeping the written law. My righteousness will be his, based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. When it comes to praying, 
we have to start with understanding our true righteousness, our right now, right standing with God. Right standing with God is given to us as a gift, not as a reward for good behavior. If we think we have to jump through all kinds of hoops to be made right with God after we've sinned, then we have mentally fallen from grace and are participating in works of self-righteousness. And as we've just seen from the Apostle Paul, none of our good religious works merit forgiveness or right standing with God. Sin doesn't call us to fall from grace, but into grace. When we feel like we've fallen from grace, <laughs> we automatically, in our mind, fall into doing works of self-righteousness. Works like repeating many prayers, confessing over and over again, telling God how sorry we are over and over and over again. And all of these are attempts to make ourselves feel right with God. When we fail in thought, word, or deed, our standing with God does not change. We actually don't fall anywhere. <laughs> we actually continue to stand in our grace, the grace of right standing, the grace of being inside of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ being inside of us. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says this, Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. And he now declares us flawless in his eyes. Doesn't matter if you just blew it. Doesn't matter if you're falling into the self-righteous work. God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. God, I'm so sorry, Lord. Doesn't matter. None of that matters. <laughs> he says, I know you just messed up. Your standing stays. You're flawless. You are acceptable. I will in no ways cast you out. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, has done for us. Our faith in Jesus, not in ourselves, our faith in Jesus guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope, our confident expectation of experiencing God's glory. So when I first came into the fuller understanding of God's grace, one of the things I realized was that I needed to change the way I approached prayer. I had this habit. <laughs> Morning, noon, and night. I'm sorry, God. If I did anything wrong, Lord, I'm sorry, God. I don't even know if I did anything wrong. But if I did, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's self-righteousness. That's me trying to give myself right standing with God based on pleading and begging for something I already have. <laughs> I already have right standing. I already have forgiveness of sin. So this constant repeating does nothing for God and nothing for me. Because <laughs> God's not withholding anything. So I had this habit of always trying to clean myself up by confessing sin, by beating myself up for days at a time, constantly asking God to forgive me for any sin that I have unknowingly committed, as if sin still separated me. I began to realize that I didn't actually need to ask for forgiveness of sin anymore. That doesn't sound quite right, does it? 
<laughs> because my sin wasn't being held against me by God. Sin no longer separates us from God because we now live in God and God lives in me. There is no more separation. Sin tries to tell us God's man. Nope, all the man went to the cross. There's no man for us. We have already died in Christ to all the power of sin. Sin no longer changes us. Now, is it appropriate to tell God we're sorry? Absolutely. Because if you love Jesus, you don't like it when you sin. <laughs> you do get mad at yourself. But the remedy isn't to continue to be mad at yourself and beat yourself up. The remedy is to go right back to the truth that I am right and flawless in my Father's eyes and nothing I can do can mess that up. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, 3, for ye are dead. <laughs> we really got to get this and we are dead. We're dead to sin. And your life is hid with Christ in God. We died to the power of sin, and now our lives are hidden in union with Christ, one spirit. And then we are in a fixed position of rest in God. The word with is underlined because the word with means in union with, and it's a particular kind of with. You see, I can go with you to the store, but that's not union. That's alongside. This kind of with is in union with, where two become one kind of union. <laughs> Our life is hidden in union with Christ in God. The word in means in a fixed position of rest. A fixed position of rest. Not of work. <laughs> now there's work to be done, but this is not where the work comes from. <laughs> in order to get God to like us, we don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> That's why we can now enjoy true and lasting peace. That's what Jesus brought for mankind, peace between God and man. There's no more separation of sin. There's no more dividing wall. He took it out when he killed us. <laughs> he killed us. The power of sin no longer lives inside of us. That doesn't mean we can't choose to make bad choices. We're all human. We're still going to make bad choices from time to time. But our bad choices don't make God mad at us and it doesn't change our right standing. We're still right with God because we're right with God based on Jesus, not based on our good behavior. Before I became a child of God, I had a sin problem. <laughs> now that I am a child of God, sin is no longer my problem. Renewing my mind is what I need to do now. God already took care of something we had no power to take care of. He took care of the sin problem. Jesus obliterated the sin problem. That way there's no separation between us and God anymore. God's not mad at me about my failures. He doesn't want to punish me for my failures. Instead, he wants to help me to stop failing. <laughs> he is my helper and my righteousness and my savior. He is my empowerment to be able to do that which is right. Jesus came to live inside of me, and when he did, he gave me his righteousness, his right standing with the Father. And my standing never changes based on my behavior. I can be an obedient child of God, or I can be a disobedient child of God, but I never stop being a child of God. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying saying sin sin doesn't matter to God. It absolutely does. He hates sin the same way we hate cancer. (laughs) I don't want cancer, and I don't want anyone I love having cancer. That's the way God feels about sin. I don't want you to have sin, and I don't want anybody else to have sin. And in Christ, you can get rid of sin. (laughs) God in no way approves of sin. Sin is destructive and deadly. And that's why God dealt with sin in the body of Jesus, so that we could be free from its power and so that we could have permanent access to God the Father and his grace. It's not temporary. You can't get a Disney signal (laughs) when you go calling God. It is a permanent access to God the Father and his grace. So how do we pray when we find ourselves falling short? of our Father's glorious perfection. We pray and declare the truth of God's grace and God's word. For example, Father, I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't act in a way that reveals the real me or the real you. I thank you that Jesus has already paid my sin debt in its entirety. I thank you that you never hold my sins against me because my sins were held against the body of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my sin, all of my sin, into the grave, where it will never be held against me by God. Everybody else will hold it against you, but not God. (laughs) Thank you for giving me your grace, your unmerited favor, your absolutely free loving kindness. Thank you for the gift of righteousness, the gift of right standing with God my Father. And thank you for making it impossible for me to mess it up. I ask that you cleanse my conscience (laughs) and restore my confidence that you love me and accept me just as I am. That's praying and declaring the grace, the truth of who and what we are and what we have. We waste time with feeling bad (laughs) because feeling bad is not the power to change. We need to take that to the God. God, I do feel bad. I am sorry. Help me to, to renew my mind to be able to walk in what you've already made me to be in Christ. This is praying and declaring grace that is available to us through Jesus' finished work. God doesn't want us focused on our failures. He wants us focused on him and his ever-present power, love, and acceptance. It is only through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we can change anything about ourselves. He's the one who changes our minds and therefore changes our behaviors. If we do anything good, all the glory belongs to him because it is his life in us and through us. After I gave up on trying to make myself clean all the time and accepted the truth that the blood of Jesus has made me permanently clean and righteous, I then realized I had another problem with the way I was praying. I was praying and asking God to give me stuff I was supposed to already have. And it felt kind of weird. When I began to get a better and fuller understanding of what salvation is and what Jesus has already accomplished by his death, burial, and resurrection, I realized my prayers didn't seem to be appropriate. It was as if I was doubting what God's word clearly said regarding my particular situations. I was having trouble deciding how to pray. How do I pray in accordance with the new covenant? How do I pray from a finished work perspective? 
A finished work perspective understands that Jesus didn't just die on a cross to forgive me of my sins. He died on a cross to eradicate the power of sin in my life and to give me God's very own life through faith in Christ. God didn't just deal with the power of sin. He also dealt with the power of the curse of the law. The curse of the law was that if you didn't keep the law, the result would be the absence of blessing. The blessing is the power of God to prosper every area of your life. And the curse was really the absence of that power. When we look in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, God says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that I have set before thee life and death, the blessing and the curse. Therefore choose life that thou mayest live, thou and thy seed. And in uh, chapter 28, you find all of the blessings and all of the curses. The curses are simply the absence of God. <laughs> when God withdraws his presence, that's what you get. That's the way their covenant worked. Our covenant doesn't work that way. We have been given the blessing. We have been translated into a kingdom, the kingdom of God's love. We live in that kingdom. We live in the power of the blessing. But everything the Jews had need of in their lives was found in the blessing. If they obeyed, blessing is what happened to them. But they had to be obedient in order to access it. When they were disobedient, the power of the curse took over. So the curse of the law hindered their access to the power of the blessing. In order to be reinstated to the power of the blessing, they needed the sacrificial lamb. Now, the Old Covenant only dealt with the external. The Jews' righteousness before God was external righteousness. If they did good, they could live in the blessing. If they did bad, they lived under the power of the curse. And to get out from underneath the power of the curse, they needed the sacrificial lamb. <laughs> the sacrificial lambs, however, did not and could not eradicate the power of sin that lived within them. That was their real problem. It was the internal power of sin that kept them from continuously accessing the blessing. So if God could provide a lamb that could actually eradicate the internal power of sin, then those who claimed that lamb for their own could have continual access to the blessing. The blessing is the power of God to prosper us in every area of our lives. This is, of course, exactly what God did by sending his son Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everyone who claims this Lamb as his own finds that the power of sin is taken away. We are no longer sinners, even if we sin. We are new creations in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have continual access, continual access to God the Father and all of his grace, all of his absolutely free loving kindness and divine enablement. We have continual access to grace and favor and blessing from God through faith in Jesus and his finished work. When God gave us Jesus to eradicate the indwelling power of sin and to carry all of our sins and iniquity into death, he also gave us the power to live continually in his presence and continually in his blessing. We don't have to live under the power of the curse anymore. 
In Galatians 3, verses 10 through 13, it says this. This is the Apostle Paul. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. And he's talking about the difference between being under the works of the law and being under faith. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. And that's because as soon as they break the law, the power of of the blessing is removed. They live under the curse. It continues. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But no man is justified. No man is made righteous. No man is given continual access to God by the law in the sight of God. For it is evident. For the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. It is faith in God's word, faith in God's son, faith in the cross that appropriates right standing with God and the right standing with God gives us access to all of his blessings. Verse 12, and the law is not of faith. In other words, you could do what was right (laughs) and not trust God in the midst of it. That is what happens when we give ourselves rules. We trust in the rules and then when we break the rules, we get what we, we can provide, <laughs> not what God can provide. So, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. In other words, it's a circle. If you fail, you get what you can provide, but you can only fail. You can't keep the law perfectly. And that's what was required, perfect obedience. Only Jesus provided perfect obedience, and only Jesus was perfectly obedient in everything. Verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us. He paid the purchase price in his own blood to set us free from the indwelling power of sin. When he delivered us from the power and presence of sin, he delivered us from the curse of the law, (laughs) being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus bore the penalty for sin that brought the curse of death. God told Adam and Eve that in the day they ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would die. And they did. They were dead in their sin and trespass. And their actions brought forth the power of the curse. The earth was cursed because of what they had done. So Jesus took sin and its curse into death through his own body by hanging on a tree. The curse Adam and Eve activated through one tree Jesus reversed on another. Verse 14. So that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What was the blessing of Abraham? It wasn't his wealth and his riches. It wasn't his protection and his provision. Nope. All of that came from his right standing. Right standing with God based on faith in what God said, not based on his works or performance. If we have right standing with God, we have his presence and his blessing, his power to prosper us in every area of our life. That was the blessing of Abraham, to know God and have all of his blessings by faith, by simply believing that what he said was true. (laughs) That was the blessing. No law. No curse. Just presence and power. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 2 and 3, the apostle Peter tells us this. 
Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus, seeing that his divine power hath granted unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us by his own glory and virtue. All things that pertain unto life and godliness have already been granted. The answer has already been given, yes. All the promises of God are yes in Christ and amen in Christ. Yes, it's granted and amen, it's already provided. In Romans 8, 32, the apostle Paul says this, he, God the Father, that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. The word spared here means to withhold. God did not withhold from us his most precious gift, his son. If he will not withhold that which is the most precious, why would he withhold that which is less precious? Stuff. <laughs> This speaks to the lie that Adam and Eve believed. God is withholding good things from you. He doesn't want you to be like him. It's the same lie Satan speaks into the ears of believers. God's keeping good things away from you. No, no, he's not. When God gave us Jesus, God gave us everything. The word with in this sentence means in union with, not alongside, not coming later. <laughs> so we could say it this way. He, God the Father, did not withhold his only son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not, in union with him, freely give us all things? When we got Jesus, we got all the answers to our prayers. When we got Jesus, we got right standing and complete access. When we got Jesus, we got everything. Everything we need for this life and for godliness. He gave us his power, his authority, his name. <laughs> we got everything if we got Jesus. The more these truths settled in my heart, the more I understood I couldn't continue to ask God for things the way I used to. I no longer think in terms of trying to persuade God to give me stuff <laughs> or get him to like me enough to give me something that I might want. He has already done everything that is needed or that was ever needed to be done for me to have everything I need for life and for godliness, to act like God. I love that part. <laughs> so how do I pray and declare grace for what I need or want? But I don't currently have physical possession of. <laughs> you see, we know inside of us <laughs> is the one and only Christ who raised the dead, who cleansed the leper, who healed everyone who came to him. We haven't quite gotten to the point where we walk exactly like that, <laughs> but we're practicing. We're practicing the ability and the power to do it is in us. So when I go to pray now, I understand there is no no from God unless I'm asking for something stupid. <laughs> if I ask for somebody else's spouse, no. <laughs> if I ask for somebody else's car, no. <laughs> Will you help me sin? No. <laughs> I'm not interested in any of those things. I want to walk like Jesus, with him and through him, to do the things that Jesus did. 
But sometimes, yep, we end up in places where I don't have in my hand what I need, Lord. So how do I pray? Father, thank you. You see, thank you says, I know I have that which I have asked for. <laughs> I know that the answer is yes before I even ask. <laughs> I know you love me and you are chasing me so you can love me and hug me and throw me in the air and make me happy. <laughs> I know who you are and because I know who you are and I know I have continual access, I don't have to worry about ever hearing no because the answer has already been given, yes. All the promises are yes in Christ Jesus. All the promises are amen in Christ Jesus. So we always start with, thank you, and really mean it. Don't just say it. <laughs> Don't run through it really fast like I did when I was a kid. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for giving Jesus for me and to me. Thank you that your word tells me that when you gave me Jesus, you included everything I would ever need. So, you so love me, you sent Jesus to rescue me and make me your very own child. Father, you are a good father, and you have already provided for my need. I thank you that that is the truth. It's already there somewhere. <laughs> it's already provided. I can trust you to provide a way to meet my need. Lord, if there's something you want me to do to walk in agreement with this prayer, let me know. And I thank you in Jesus' name. It is by faith in what Jesus has done. It is by faith in what our Father says he is. It is by faith that we apprehend everything. Everything is given by grace, but it's only apprehended by believing. Abraham, in one translation of the Bible, it refers to Abraham as Abraham the believer. He's talking about Abraham being faithful to trust what God said, more than his circumstances, more than what his body told him, more than what his wife told him, more than, <laughs> more than what anybody told him. He trusted what God said. And he was known not only as the friend of God, but in the new covenant, he is known as Abraham, the believer. That's what we are. That's how we apprehend all that the goodness that our Father has provided through the Lord Jesus Christ is by believing. This message came out of not knowing how to pray for America. I believe in prayer, don't get me wrong. I may not pray all night anymore because now I know I don't have to. <laughs> but I believe in prayer. Prayer itself is not the key. Faith in God, the one who answers the prayer. You see, it isn't prayer that works, it's God that works. We just get to cooperate in the process. <laughs> we just get to walk in agreement with what he says is true. We just get to let him live through us. But when I started to think, oh, Lord, I was praying a lot of help, Jesus. <laughs> you can't think of anything else to pray. It's still a good prayer. <laughs> Jesus, help save America. 
still praying the same thing after 30 years. God, please save America. There's no place else for us to go. <laughs> this is a Christian nation. It is founded on the Bible. This is where you have sent missionaries throughout the world. Lord, somehow, some way, rescue America. She has lost her bearing. She has put her eyes on the world, and she has forgotten the Savior that created her. Father, help me to speak to those storms and help me to love those people and help me to intercede for those who don't know Christ. Prayer works because God works. Not because we pray, but because we believe. We have to exercise our faith. And that's exactly what prayer is. It's me believing he hears me. It's me believing he said yes. And it's me believing that he's going to do what I can't. It's me believing that he loves me and has already provided for every blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We thank you for what we can't see because we know it's still there. We thank you, Father God, that I'm going to walk into what you have for me. Father, I thank you that you are changing America, that you are raising up righteousness, that you are raising up leaders, that you are raising up the righteous to stand and take their place as rulers and, and governors and mayors. Father God, raise up righteousness in this land, the land she's supposed to be, the land that you ordained her to be. Father God, raise up your church to be bold to declare there is no power on earth like Jesus nothing can save but Jesus nothing can heal but Jesus Jesus is the answer for America Jesus is always the answer make us bold to share this secret <laughs> you have already said yes now father we thank you in Jesus name Amen.